Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of What They Never Told Us. In last week's episode, we discussed being a woman and Sasha and I had a lot to say and honestly we could have probably kept on going for a few more hours if you let us there's so much about being a woman that we didn't even get an opportunity to discuss because there's just so so many layers but we got to the main things that we felt were the most instrumental in making us who we are today and For this week, we are going to be talking about being first generation. Um, And I'm actually really excited for this episode because I have a lot to say. But before we even jump into that conversation, we are going to be doing a check-in. As stated before, we're going to be doing this all the time just because this is your time to check in with us, right? We're not just doing it for us, but let's all figure out how we're feeling right now in the moment. So Crystal, how are you doing? Yeah, excited for today's conversation. So feeling good emotionally, but physically I'm feeling really achy and tired and I haven't had good sleep this week. So to be honest, um, I I want to go back to bed, but uh, here we are. Um, but overall, I feel emotionally, I feel good. And I think that to me sometimes is the most important. I, I wish I could say the same I'm also very tired and I'm experiencing some family drama so uh yeah it's hard it's hard to try and live your life and then you know you go back and then you realize that all this other stuff is going on at home you don't want to care and then you realize I have I obviously do care and it's just a lot it's just a lot of emotional stuff going on right now However, I am excited to talk about being first gen. And funny enough, I didn't think of it until now. My family stuff relates to being first gen. Oh, yeah, it does. I know the, I know the juice, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, let's, let's jump into today's episode. Really, when I think of being first gen, I think of being the first, as is stated in the name of first gen. Just so we're all on the same page. When we talk about first generation, we are talking about the children of immigrant parents who came here to the United States, and those children are now growing up here and adapting to a different country than their parents grew up in. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So I am first gen born in America. My mom came to this country when she was 16, um, along with a few of my family members, and It definitely felt, it was an experience. Um, The first thing I think about with being first gen is just being kind of straddled between two worlds. And it is a little difficult to navigate expectations, traditions, values in the home and American ones and trying to reconcile just how all of that takes place. There was also 
many other factors when, you know, my mom knew English, but she didn't speak English very well. And I spoke English was my first language. So there are a lot of layers here to to unpack. Most definitely. I so it's so funny. I didn't think of it until now. So my both my parents were immigrants. My father was Greek. My mother is Colombian. And they just happened to bond over what they had in common, which is like coffee and cigarettes. And here I am, you know, growing up completely different than what and than what they did, also trying to adapt to their separate cultures, right? Like, so I didn't just have one Colombian culture to adapt to. I had maybe, uh, I had a Greek culture to adapt to, but that was more my choice, right, at that point, because um, I felt so disconnected from it. But I, too, am first generation, obviously. And as Crystal said, it brings up so many different layers especially just with like the everyday little cultural differences. So for example, I have the best memories of my mom making me eat the craziest and funky things. Like I remember one time I was not allowed to get up from my seat until I finished all those chicken hearts on the plate. (laughs) Ooh, girl, what? You know, we had a lot of funky stuff in my culture, but I will say I was queen picky and I was like, no, 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 no. Because what we're not going to do is eat something that's that looks like that, that smells like that. If it's not basic ass chicken breast or some like <laughs> basic little beef, I'm not touching it. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, I didn't have a choice. And that was and I think that that's something that a lot of, you know, you see on TV, right, where some kids, they throw tantrums and they're like, no, I want this. I want that. Yo, you could not even do that around my mom. And I think that that has to do with the different cultures, right? Like, Because my mom grew up in a very strict environment and she definitely raised me that way. I will say, I think I got away with it because I've always, 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 from the second I was born to 30 years old today, been the world's pickiest eater. So my mom always knew that she would just have to make me something that I would eat. But my sister wasn't as picky of an eater, didn't always like the things that were offered in terms of like cultural foods and things like that. But my sister was forced to eat it. I got lucky because I barely, I ate like three things. Like there was three things on the menu that I ate (laughs) and it always had to be on the menu. So I wouldn't starve to death. But I think when we're uh, talking about the cultural stuff, you know, I think one thing that really stood out to me was living in a multi-generational home when we're thinking about homes and cooking and things like that. I remember because we were first generation to this country, there was this aspect of being very close-knit with the family because you kind of needed each other to survive and kind of relied on each other for for resources. So I grew up in a house where the, the third floor was my grandmother. So my grandmother, my mom, me, and then my uncles, not at the same time, but like one uncle at one time and then one uncle at another time lived on the third floor. And then on the second floor was my godmother, uh, my god, uh, not my godfather, my godmother, her husband, my cousins. Then in the, in the basement lived my aunt and, um, my cousin. So I feel like community was something that was big. And I remember in the neighborhood, we lived in Sunset Park in Brooklyn. Like we, we were walking distance um, from, from everyone. So I felt like it did feel like a little community amongst like a bigger community that kind of helped each other out a lot. 
I think the the fact that we needed help, well, I say we, right? But we were born here. So essentially, yes, we ended up by default needing help because our parents are the ones who needed help. Because the reality is whether you're educated or not, and you come to the United States, your education doesn't apply here. So you, uh, you, our parents mm. usually end up working blue collar jobs and they aren't making enough money, right? So I can totally relate to the necessity of having a multi-generational home because I know that my mother and my my brother and I lived in an apartment with my grandfather. Not necessarily because my mom loved him so much, but because <laughs> she needed help with the rent and so did he and it benefited both the both of them to have each other financially, not necessarily because they they wanted to be close. Yeah, I remember growing up financial struggles being a really, really big thing. Uh, We were definitely on government assistance. So we had food stamps. Um, I think food stamps was the major one. I think when my youngest sister was born, we were also on WIC. Um, But I remember, like, we really needed these, these things to survive because even with everyone in the home contributing, it just wasn't, it was enough to get by and it was enough to be, you know, like have everything that we absolutely needed. But without that additional assistance, it would have been a, a real big struggle. And I think one thing about being a uh, first gen, about being born here was because English was my first language. A lot of times I had to help navigate these systems to ensure that the family had food and stuff like that. And I remember like we would get these letters or have these appointments or even with school stuff, you know, like the teacher or the school, you know, was doing something and my like I was the, the main translator for my family. And I remember feeling a lot of pressure to get it right. And it gave me a lot of anxiety because a lot of times I was like, I don't really know this stuff. Like, you know, I'm like, I don't know if this is correct. I don't know if I'm doing it wrong, but I always understood the the gravity like if I did get it wrong like it could it could mean you know something with me at school or it could mean you know my parents like my my mom lost you know like her food stamps yeah it's a lot of pressure to put on a kid right but I just a child right someone who like you say you don't even know what's going on but it might mean you understand the consequences of you not doing it right even though you don't know what the hell you're doing I Actually, I'm lucky enough that my mother came here when she was 13 and she learned how to speak English. But I do remember her doing that for my grandfather and and, and seeing the stress that it put her through. Like she was his caregiver. And I also think that's something very, I think that's something that is in a lot of cultures. And I can, as always, I'll only speak for my own. But I I think that there's something to the kids taking care of our parents and that's so in yours in your way you were the translator because guess what you were the oldest child you knew how to speak English so this is how you're going to take care of the family this is oh this is what it is you all play a role right like there is no I'm just gonna be a kid and go out and blow bubbles no like you played (laughs) a role and (laughs) I used to be envious of the kids who could do that you play a role in your family and you have a responsibility from a really early age because of where your family comes from. And sadly, because most of the times when our parents come here from other countries, there's not a lot of money. So you're you're resourceful from the very beginning. You're a resource to them. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to to frame it in terms of what are the roles that we each play in the family. And yes, I definitely had a lot of that burden in my life. And I think that, you know, similar to last week's conversation about being woman, about these expectations and this pressure, it was like this, this was my role. Like the expectation was that I was going to help. And I think that with that responsibility, I think that it, it kind of, I, I, it created this space where I was like, okay, this is my role here. But when, you know, like kind of like what you were talking about American kids, I see kids on TV and I'm like, well, they're not doing that, but this is my responsibility here. And I, you know, of course, like did my best to live up to that responsibility because I knew what it meant. But I remember growing up thinking like, I want to be more like these American kids that it seems easier for them like they get to play they get to have fun like you know their parents help them with stuff like it's not the opposite way around it's you know uh the parent is the caregiver the child is not the caregiver and I feel like I always especially when I was younger kind of looked to those kids and I'm like oh that that must be a very nice lush life to be taken care of. Are you kidding me? No, I I think it it expands way beyond being taken care of. Because like today I was listening to this podcast and someone very famous spoke about how they wanted to transition from being a lawyer to being an actor and how they were very nervous to call their parents up. And the the father was just like, go ahead, do you. And I'm like, my mother would have never told me that. It would have been like, what are you doing? Uh, you have to think about the family. You have to think about so many different things. And I think that it, it speaks to this pressure of being a part of a family, right? And having, in, it's it's like a continuation of their immigrant experience, even mm-hmm. though you are here. So it it's completely different. I, it, it feels like you almost, so like what you were saying about, <laughs> we were saying about the the person who wanted to be a lawyer from go from being a lawyer to an actor. I remember when I was in grad school, I was like, I'm I'm sick of this shit, which I kind of was at that point. I really did not want to go to grad school. Throughout the whole two years that I was there, I was kicking and screaming like a child having a tantrum. Um, and I remember at one point I gravitated towards baking because it was a good coping mechanism. I didn't realize at the time that it was something that was just kind of like helping me get through a very difficult time. But then I told my mom, I was like, so what would happen if I quit grad school and became a baker? And she looked at me like, you're joking, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm joking. But like, if I wasn't joking, <laughs> like what would <laughs> happen? And I mean, she was like, you're not dropping out of grad school. Like that was just non-negotiable for her. So I obviously did not drop out of grad school and I got my degree and I'm happy that I did. And I don't even bake anymore. So again, glad that I, I didn't do that. But it was like, it was weird um, because I was never pressured to be something. Like there's some first generation folks who like it's like you have to be a lawyer you have to be an engineer you have to be a doctor like I was never put into that type of pressure but I had to have some sort of job or some sort of career where I could earn a living and I felt like I had to make something out of myself on the backs of the sacrifices that the people who came before me did oh yes 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 I think that that is the the pressure right that we're talking about because as you were talking I was like we don't have the option we as first generation it almost 
Obviously, we do. Hold up. We do have the option, but it doesn't feel like you have the option because it's do or die in your mind. It's like, I got to get my shit together. I got to be on on point so that I don't mess up and then kind of re, like you know get into this cycle again because you're living in it and you also understand that there's a world out there where you don't necessarily have to be in it. And so every decision you make just feels so big. Yeah, no, it does. It does feel um, pretty big because I, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened if I didn't achieve what I had achieved or, or what that would have meant for everyone who, who made those sacrifices. And I will say even for, for my cousins and things like that, you know, like they, they had also felt a similar pressure because I think like you don't come to this country and you don't make sacrifices and you don't, you know, get made fun of or get looked down on or work three, four times as hard or work jobs in factories and like under less than ideal conditions for, for your kids and for the generations to that come after you to not achieve some sort of goal or to not pursue something something bigger. I, I think the issue though with that is that there's a part of me there's a part of me that did feel like I said I, I wasn't pressured into being a, into a certain career, but there did come that anxiety of like I have to make it, I have to do something. like it never felt like I had a choice. And I think like even like to kind of tie it into last week's conversation of meeting others' expectations. And when you're when you're meeting others' expectations or you have this pressure to achieve because of everything that others did for you, it's hard to find the balance of who you are, how do you navigate this world, but how do you still stay tied? to to the people who brought you here or even just to the traditions and things like that. So I feel like there's always this balancing act. But you, as the individual who's first gen, you kind of have to figure it out on your own because your parents are too worried or your the generation before you is too worried with other things to kind of help you navigate or to even realize that that's a thing. You brought up so much right there. Um, you brought up like cultural boundaries and you also brought up like having to meet a certain expectation and they don't, you know, our parents usually come here because the American life is better, right? And they and they know that they're giving us a better life because, yes, there are more opportunities. And I do believe that you can, if you work hard, you definitely can achieve what your goal is. But I think that what makes it even harder most of the time is that our parents have no idea how to do it. So we are the first to even figure it out because our parents are like, yeah, go to school. But they have no idea oh, girl. <laughs> of what the high school application looks like, what the college application looks like. And yo, that is hard. That is hard because if you don't have the motivation on your own and you don't have your parent like kicking you in the butt, like, yeah, you have that. Yo, you better go to school. You better go to school. But there's this huge disconnect when they don't know how you're doing in school. And when you're in college, you don't even have to tell them anymore. Like they don't have to sign shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that freedom could fuck people up because it's like now Who's holding them accountable if it's not yourself holding you accountable? I do think that first generation children learn to hold themselves accountable and they learn these responsibilities real early on because of the situation that they're placed in. I was going to say, I feel like I definitely held myself 
accountable. I think I I learned to do that because I was a first generation kid. I can definitely see the opposite happening of like, oh, now I have freedom. Now you don't gotta, you know, now I don't have to tell you what's going on and things going, I guess, in the opposite direction of being rebellious. And um, because that is that is something that that definitely happens. I personally was someone who kind of was able to keep myself on the straight and narrow because I think I knew how much it meant to other people for me to get this education. But in regards to high school and college, I will say that was a huge challenge for me because even though I wasn't the first person to go to college, I had three cousins that went to or had graduated or were graduating from college by the time that I had started. But navigating college was very difficult because there were things that I just didn't know. So like when I went to, so I went to a a very small, private, predominantly white institution in Brooklyn. And I remember there was just certain things about being in college that I didn't know. And you know, as I was trying to figure it out and, you know, trying to figure what is financial aid? What is the registrar? What is the bursar? What the fuck does bursar even mean? Like, Yo, I... I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know. It's definitely, I think, where you pay the bills. Um, like the Yeah, but the actual paying. definition... Oh, I have no idea what the fuck a bursar is. Someone, oh, someone okay. let us know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I know it's the office where you pay the actual bill. <laughs> but... Yeah, I remember trying to navigate these things and I think what stood out to me and and made me made me feel bad was like I would see other students like their parents were there with them and were kind of like telling them. And even in my college there were some not legacy kids but like this is a third person to graduate from that college in the family. So I was like this is very very different uh, because I had to kind of figure everything out. Luckily for me, I had scholarships and financial aid to kind of get me through. And our high school did a pretty decent job of like explaining the college applications and they gave us the CUNY applications and the waivers for kids who couldn't afford it. But I think that all came out of luck because if the school hadn't done the prep work, like my mom would not have gone to the school to figure it out. Like I would have had to like go on the internet and figure it out. And like, I had someone guiding me because the school provided that, but that was out of sheer luck. And there was so many things throughout my college experience that I learned the hard way that it was kind of like, I'm in this situation. I'm like, oh shit. Like no one told me, I didn't know. Um, And having to navigate out of it on my own. And you know what the best part? Like, yo, if you wouldn't have been lucky or you wouldn't have actually applied to college or, you know, knew, know how to do it on your own, your parents real quick, at least my mom real quick, would be like, why aren't you in college? I'll be like, I don't know how to get into college. <laughs> like, can you help me? No, you can't. That's why. But it's so funny because you can't verbalize that at that time when you're young. Then it kind of gets internalized like, well, I don't know. I Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't, you know, when you don't know things, and you, it's essentially a lack of resources and you're not getting that help in school and no one's there to say, you know, go left or right or keep going straight. It's really difficult because it starts to feel as though something's wrong with you. How come you don't go and be proactive? How come you don't go and do it? And it's just, and that's the story that I still tell myself this day. But I, it's really hard to just deal with those things because then you start feeling some kind of way about yourself. And in in regards to college, I got super lucky that our guidance counselors, I mean, I think that they put these systems in place because they recognize that there are a lot of people who don't know how to do it, obviously. So that's a great thing. 
but I had no idea what I was applying to. I applied to my college literally because someone told me it was good. I didn't do no damn research. And I do think that me progressing through my education, at least until undergrad finished, was out of sheer luck um, because I didn't know what I was doing. I'd go to the financial aid office. They'd be like, oh, you didn't do this. And I'd be like, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about, but I'm going to go home and ask for this form or I'm going to just hope it all works out. And guess what? It all did. Because there were a lot of times that I owed money and I don't know how I got like, I don't now they're more strict, though, but I don't know how I got away with just like not owing money, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah, I will say another, I guess another perk of going to such a small private college. One of my friends <laughs> in college, his sister was the financial aid officer. So I kind of had an in, but again, it was, you know, just a matter of, of circumstances. It was kind of like luck that got me through that. But there were, there are things about financial aid that I did not know. So when I was in grad school, I had applied for a loan. Because that, you know, like, even though I went to to my undergrad completely for free, thank goodness that I don't have that debt hanging over my head. I, you know, didn't have, I was lazy. I didn't want to apply for scholarships. I knew there were a thing. I was like, I don't, I'll just pay it. Um, I'm going to a public school. It's not going to be that expensive. So, and I had done my undergrad for free. So I was like, whatever. I remember I applied for my loan. I had told them they were like, you are eligible for this amount. And I was like, okay, great. I want this amount. So I had registered for my classes. Everything was going well. I get an email maybe three days before classes start. If you don't pay your bill, all of your classes are going to be dropped. And I was like, shut the fuck up. What you mean all of my classes are going to be dropped? (laughs) And in grad school, it's a two-year program. You gotta, you gotta go, go, go. There's no, you know, there's no time to be lollygagging or, you know, playing around. And I remembered I owed over $6,000 and I went, I, first of all, CUNY is, not great about answering the phone, at least not the financial oh, aid office. Nope. I'll speak for for the, <laughs> for the college that I went to. So I remember calling financial aid, calling financial aid, calling financial aid, not getting through to anyone. I get through to someone after like waiting on hold for a ridiculous amount of time. And they're like, you have to come in. And I'm like, when do I even have the time to go in and having to adjust my whole schedule to go to the school, to go to financial aid for them to tell me, oh, you didn't apply your loans to the school. And I was like, who the fuck what like I didn't even know that I had to do that and they were like yeah if you don't pay this bill in the next like 72 hours all of your classes are going to be dropped and I was freaking the fuck out so I called my mom and I explained to her what's happening and luckily my grandma had her emergency savings uh she was able to loan me the six thousand dollars so I I did the thing I did I told fed loans this is a federal loan apply my loans to the college and then I paid the bill with the money that my grandma had loaned me so then I got a refund check and with the refund check I was able to pay my grandmother back the money she had loaned me but that was a situation where I was like like how was I supposed to know this I literally could have missed an entire semester of grad school because I, I didn't know this it's interesting like what you're talking about it's it's just not having the appropriate information. Like, it's so simple. Like, if somebody would explain it to us, but guess what? We go our lives as, like, and it's not, we do live our lives as first-generation children, not knowing a lot of things. And you have to be proactive about, you know, where you're moving towards or what your goal is. Because, sadly, like, we come from, a lot of us come from families where they don't know. 
So we have to be the first ones to know. I think that it gets really hard when, okay, you don't know, but you figured it out. Okay, now you're in school and you're trying to get good grades so you can have a good job, right? Because that's what we're told. And okay, I'm making my parents happy. And guess what? A lot of us happen to have to work, not because we want to have a side job, but because we have to work. Like I worked throughout my undergrad and I worked throughout my grad school career and I was told not to. And I was like, well, I'm going to do it anyway, because guess what? I had to pay rent. So you have all these responsibilities on you trying to make it, trying to like, trying to keep going, trying to get yourself up there. Well, up there, I don't know where up there is to be quite honest with you, but um, you're just trying to get better. And it's, it's a heavy burden sometimes to carry. Like as grateful as I am that my mom came to this country and I have all the opportunities because I really am grateful. I am not going to sugarcoat how difficult it is. Yeah, no, it, it is, it is tough. I always think like when I have kids, I'm going to help them and I'm going to, you know, cause it's like, all right, well, I, <laughs> I just don't want anyone else to, <laughs> I will to no. have to like, no, you're going to let them children fend for themselves. <laughs> no, I'm going to be like, listen, this is the information. What are you going to do with it? Because that's how you fucking learn. <laughs> No, I think that's a good strategy. I think that's a good strategy. But I, I, I do feel I'm I'm very much like a mama bear with anyone. I'm like, so like let me hold your hand. <laughs> this whole process. That's 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 kind of how I am. But I think that yeah, it, it is a lot of pressure. And I, I will say, like, I, I'll give my mom credit in that whenever I needed something and I asked, she gave it to me, but she didn't she would not have known what to give unless I, I went out and find and found out for myself what it is that I needed. And I, in terms of what you said about working, I worked throughout my undergrad and my, you know, my grad school. And that was how I helped my family by working and supporting myself. Because like when you go to high school and stuff like that, at least in New York City, I don't know about other places, they give you a Metro card and it's free, especially based on your income. So it's free you know to get to school every day but when you get to college that's not the case and you have to buy your own metro card and you have to buy your own books and all of these things and I remember that's kind of how I had helped my mom by helping myself through you know buying my having a job buying my own clothes and things like that I was also very involved in school like uh with campus activities and stuff like that and luckily my work study um work study applied towards activities so i would get paid to like throw parties so that was <laughs> that wow, was a perk. <laughs> that sounds so good that's so funny i had to work well no one well first of all because my mom brought her values from colombia cuz i grew up alone with my mom but because she brought her values from colombia like anything i wanted like let's let's see let's rewind anything i wanted even at the age of 13, she was like, go find a job. So I think I started working literally when I had just turned 15 or a little bit before, not going to lie. And I remember making my own money. And if I bought, if I needed stuff, like I would buy my own clothes, my own food. Like it was just like up to me. And because she always believed in like, you know, she came from a culture where it's like, you have to work for what you get. And it's not just something that's given. It was like secondhand to me at that point to work and have like actually like real, real jobs. So like I worked at a management company. I even I remember even like doing like real estate. I did everything. I've done literally everything in the book. 
I have been an assistant. I have been a waitress. I've been a bartender. I've been anything you you think of. Oh, I was a salesperson for like two weeks and I was like, this shit isn't for me. But guess what? I always <laughs> knew I had to find money. So for me, it was like like having a job was like going to school. It had to be done. Right. But that, I think that that kind of goes back to the hustle mentality or that reminds me of the hustle mentality, because I think one thing that I learned, like even in stumbling through and having to navigate things for myself in college and in other areas, um, was that you worked hard. You gave your all. You did not half ass anything because nothing in this country, or at least is what we're taught, is handed to you. Yep. You have to work hard for it. You have to really put yourself out there and put in put in that work. And I think that that's something, especially because for for me, like my mom worked very very hard, um, and she didn't make a lot of money. But it's like if if she didn't work as hard as she did there would be no money, you know? So I, and, and I think that besides the hustle mentality, I think this is another part that kind of makes me laugh is also being a little on the cheap side because things were, <laughs> you know, you work very hard. Again, I, you work I have, very hard. And then you, we call it be, it, the word is frugal. <laughs> right. Why does Sasha stay trying to correct me? So I'd be like, yo, Sasha, I got to get rid of this mustache. And she'd be like, it's upper lip. And I'm like, girl, this is a mustache. It's so real. Like, what you say really has an effect on how you move in this world. So if you're being frugal, guess what? You're being smart about your money. If you're being cheap, you know, like, it's funny, like, you know, tacaño, like, and then they hit the elbow. Like, that, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. There's such a negative connotation to that. You're like, you're like, yo, I don't want to fucking be cheap. But guess what? You have to be cheap. So what we say is you're being frugal because there's not a lot of resources to go around. Okay? <laughs> I will agree with. I, I will agree with with this one because definitely the word cheap does have a lot of uh, negative connotations. So I, I'm going to stick with mustache, but I'll give you frugal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, being very frugal. And I remember... One of the things that I heard in my house all the time was like, tu paga la luz aquí. You pay the electric bill here. And let me tell you, I used to hate that shit. First of all, I'd be like, yo, like, relax. It's just a light. Like, I, I needed it to see. Until you start paying that now bill. Now that I live with... Exactly. That's what I was just about to say. Yo, I'd be in my apartment by myself talking about, tu paga la luz aquí. Um, and I'm like, yes, I actually do pay the electricity bill. So we go turn up all these lights because that bill be crazy, especially in the summer with the AC. Ooh. So that's that's one thing that was instilled. Can we just <laughs> shout out real quick all the Spanish people listening to this who call electricity light? Um, La loses electricity. Yeah. <laughs> I That shit always makes me crack up. Like it's yeah, that. I think that that has been instilled in me. Like, yo, I am frugal to the bone. Like, I will think about a purchase, even if I want it with all my heart and soul. I'll think about that shit 10 times. Like, do I really fucking need this? Do I really need this? Yes. No, I I agree. I made a purchase at Ulta and I had points. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to spend my good money on this perfume. I'm going to use these points because I earned them. Exactly. I think like even um, even now that I'm a little bit more comfortable financially, like I will say that I've invested in things to make me comfortable. But even in that, I'm like, well, 
this is, you know, is this a worthwhile investment? Is there a sale? Is there a coupon? You know, like, can I wait till, you know, President's Day or Black Friday or, or whatever the case to buy this? Because money does not grow on trees. Let me fucking tell you. I mean, money is paper technically, so don't fucking come for me. I know that money is paper and paper is made out of trees, but money does not grow on trees. Um, and I think that that's something that's going to stick with me forever. So shout out to, to my family for yeah. insta- instilling being frugal. 100% shout out to Donya my Donya for still being frugal she'll still criticize me by the way like oh you spent what did you buy oh I hate yo to this day I cringe my mom's like what did you buy I'm like yo I'm not showing you because then you're gonna judge me you're gonna judge my decision making <laughs> on how I spend money but it's interesting that we're talking about what we got from them but as we're talking about that I think about the things that we choose to spend money on that Back then, our parents, and to this day still, my mom's like, that's crazy. I'm not going to spend that amount of money on, let's say, a dinner. So when we were able to go out for dinner, I wouldn't mind putting in like $100 like to have a dinner with Crystal, per se. Like, have a really good evening. Because to me, those things, they mean a lot. But to my mom, it's like, why are you wasting money when you have perfectly good food at home? And guess what? She's right. But this dinner... This thing is, it's its for me. It's for something that I enjoy. And I also think that has a lot to do with like American norms or, you know, these things that we see on the TV and we, we aspire to be. And these are things that I have adapted, right? Like a lot of norms that maybe our parents didn't think we were going to adapt and live our life that way. But it turns out because we're here, we just ended up having them instilled in us as well. So I, I, what I will say is my mom, when I have treated her to expensive dinners, because I'm like you, I'm like, oh, this is a great experience. You know, like I, I, I want to have this nice dinner. She is all for it because she just never had it. Um, she, she does feel bad. She's like, do you want me to put some money towards it? Cause you know, I'll take her out sometimes for her birthday or like the holidays. And I'm like, no, like it's fine. So she does appreciate it, but she's also like, yo, this is hella expensive. Like she's very aware of it. I think she just, it's not, it's, you know, like that kind of like luxury, uh, high end dinner experience is just not something that she's used to, but she does, she does appreciate it. But no, to to kind of go back to the American norms versus the cultural norms, like I think like when I think back to like the things that I saw on TV and also experienced and lived. Um, I did live in a in a neighborhood where there were a lot of other Latinx or Hispanic people. So I think like within my neighborhood, it felt a little bit like a bubble because we were all experiencing the same things. There was a lot of kids that were first generation. But when I saw things on TV or when I got to college, that was really when I got to see the other side. Or if I traveled into Manhattan, that was when I really got to see the other side of like how people lived. And that was when I was out of my bubble. And I remember like that was when my internal conflict developed itself because when you're first gen, you're really straddling those two worlds, right? Like, you know, like you're at home is one way. And then I'm going to interrupt you real quick. At home, literally what home is, it's not just the values that your mom or dad put on you. It's literally like being in their country. It's Mm, like, I remember my home was like little Colombia. You cannot do things that would not have (laughs) flown in Colombia. So guess what? I was in Colombia. And then when I went to school, I was in America. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I was going to um, say. They're two different worlds. They're different languages because I spoke Spanish at home. I spoke English everywhere else. 
it's different to traditions. It's different norms. And I remember like even something as basic as like sleepovers or other kids having parties. Yo, yo, I know you, you ask a Latina mom, if you could fucking have a sleepover, you, you ask and you risk that you go ahead. No, try it. There's Let me no know risk. You just don't have friends. Period. <laughs> <laughs> like the, your friends are oh the ones gosh. who have parents that think like your parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. Yo, that is so true. I'm sorry. I just feel like I gave myself a flashback and I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, yeah. oh shit. Like, girl, it's okay. It's safe. You live alone. You can have a sleepover. <laughs> like, I'm trying to remind myself. You're so funny. No. I, I, I don't I don't really like people in my space. I don't like to be outside of my comfort zone, but I don't know if that's so much the Latina in me um, that was passed down, like the traditions that were passed down, or if I'm just weird. Nah, um, that's that's uh, another part of my identity we'll, su- we'll speak about later on, but that's the counselor in me that knows that people just suck. And I'm like, my kids are not going to sleep anywhere else but my house where I can protect them. Sorry, I digress. Oh, absolutely. Oh, girl. I couldn't go to sleepovers, but as an adult, best believe, I'm like, I get it now. Like, I get it now. My kids ain't doing sleepovers either. I also feel like that is a very Latinx thing. But, um, yes, my kids are not doing sleepovers. You, We could talk about uh, a little camp outside. Like, we'll get a little tent. We'll, we'll make it seem like it's a sleepover experience, but we're not doing the real sleepovers. But I think that one of the things that also comes up for me is just, like, when, when we're talking about the cultural differences um it's hard to blend in or be quote-unquote normal in the world when it goes against your culture or traditions at home the other part for me that comes up is you have to achieve the american dream right you know you have to make something for yourself but i also feel like that looks very specific you know like i said like i said earlier like i was never forced to be an engineer or a doctor or anything like that but when I had told my mom, like, I want to drop out of grad school to be a baker, in her mind, that was not a traditional career, right? Like, that was not the direction that she wanted me to go in. So I feel like you almost have to, I don't want to say forget your dreams, but you kind of have to figure out a balance of, like, who you are and what the expectation or who you have to be for your family who made these sacrifices. And I feel like that's a hard, like not only like as you're growing up, are you navigating two worlds? Cause like you said, your house was a little Columbia and then you went outside and it was America. Then it's like, you want to achieve these dreams or these goals for your family. But at what cost are these the dreams and goals that you want for, for yourself? And I will say, I'm lucky that I got to kind of pursue my career in a way that meant something to me but if I really would have wanted to be a baker I mean I I don't I'm glad that my mom convinced me not to drop out of grad school but if I really wanted to be a baker that wasn't an option yeah we wouldn't have met by the way but it's okay it it worked out as it should I think that it's it's interesting what you're saying there's like this it you were like it's not that you couldn't do what you wanted it was just limitations like yes we do try and please our parents because of the relationship we have with them and then add on the fact that your parents came here for you, right? Because you get—I got told that shit all the fucking time. 
you have to do something better for yourself. It's like, and like, there's this thing like, oh, okay, I'm going to do better because somebody gave me something, even though I, you know, oh my God, I feel so bad saying this, but I didn't ask for it. Um, now it's mine. And how am I going to maneuver myself with these limitations when maybe my heart is in a different place, right? So what comes up for me that there's this story of when I first decided to move out, I must've been 22. And females in the, the Latinx community, they're not known to move out of their house until they get married. Or like, let's say, yeah, let's say I wanted to move in with my ex at the time. I think my mom would have been more okay with that. I think she even asked me, how come you don't move in with him? And I was like, because I want to be alone. I, in my heart, needed to move out. Like I needed it for myself and I knew that. And it was really hard. And like, I almost didn't do it. I remember I went and I looked for apartments on my own. I found a roommate that I didn't even freaking know. Thank God we ended up being good friends. And once I had decided to sign the lease, that's when I let everybody know like, hey, everybody, I'm moving out. And my mother was absolutely heartbroken. Tears, why do you have to move out? I'm so sad. And I got the same thing with traveling too. You know, her world and my world did not coincide at all. And she was extremely heartbroken. And like, how do you deal with that when you don't want to see your parents feel some kind of way about the decisions you're making? Yeah. I, well, I lived, I lived at home through grad school. So through like 24 so I think by the time that I moved out, my mom was, like, ready for me to go. Like, she was like, all right, like, first one out the door, like, bye. I think it was difficult for her, though, because it meant, like, my independence. And, you know, like, she, like, it was something that she had been working so hard towards. But then when you actually get there, it does bring up a lot of feelings. And I can't imagine being a parent and watching, you know, the child that you literally wiped their butt and fed um all of a sudden uh leaving the home I was like you I definitely was not gonna stay home as soon as I had the money to uh, you know the full-time job I worked for I worked I graduated grad school I had already had a job lined up before I even graduated so like I had a job lined up in April I graduated in June and the end of May and by June the beginning of June I had started a new job six months later not even I think it was like five months later I had already like found the place to live and had saved up enough money to move out. So for me, it was like, boom, 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 I got to go. But I t- <laughs> this does remind me of, I saw like a meme um, about dating apps, how uh, men, when they date Latina women, it's like, she'll be like 29, still living at home to save money. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I'm like, that's hilarious. But I, I feel like a lot, like what you're saying is true. Like, I feel like we were kind of like the anomaly like we broke we went against the the norms because I do feel like a lot of people wait until they're with the significant other or until they're married to move out and it's not normal for like Latinas to move out because I think it goes against like the familial culture because in previous generations you left when you got married you were handed over to another family is what happened yes yes (laughs) yes you're right I was trying to be nice about it but you're right go cook and clean for this one uh, for this family, not not ours anymore. We've taught you, but whatever. We spoke about that already. It's. I think that these things start really early on, right? You start to recognize when you're a child. Oh, I can't show up this way in my house. I can't show up, you know, culturally in school. So you start compartmentalizing certain parts of who you are. So when I was little, like I remember, you know, not being able to 
to tell my mom what I like or even tell her that I liked a boy because God forbid I told her I wanted a boyfriend or, you know, like, but I didn't understand what I'm, what a boyfriend was, but to my mom, it was like, absolutely not. And I remember my grandfather telling me that, well, no, it wasn't absolutely not. It was, I'll cut your legs off. And then when, (laughs) when I would tell my grandfather, yeah, my mom was intense. When I told my grand, my grandfather wouldn't even ask me. He would just tell me like, don't find a boy until you finish your education. So there were so many things and not just with boys, but there were so many things that I wanted or I wanted to do that I kept secret for a long time in my family because I knew that they wouldn't get it. And it shows up in so many different ways now in my life. Like, I think that when I first got, when I first started working, I needed to make sure that I, I, I spoke a certain way. I showed up and presented myself a certain way, which is more American than anything. And I would completely hide my cultural side. There was this complete, not rejection, but just, I would put it away in certain environments. And then when I felt safer to open it up and bring it out, that's usually with friends and family, it would come out. But my life was for a long time was very structured and like I couldn't show up just fully as myself all the time, which is something that I'm working with now. I I definitely think that's one of the uh, biggest uh, pieces for me when I think about first gen as well, because I, I don't think that um, you could show up as yourself because it was kind of like, you know, if you if you went to school as a kid with the lunchbox and you had mangu or sancocho, it was like, what the fuck are you eating? Like, you know, so it was... First of all, if somebody could bring me that lunch now, I'd be so fucking happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like you, like, you know, you couldn't show up in that way and then... It was, it just was always such a struggle. And I think like when I went to, when I went to college and I had gone to grad school, I think that was when I realized that I hadn't learned enough about like being in that other, like in being in this American space that was accepted. Because I think like even thinking about the cultural norms between home and America, like I was still like in that bubble. Like, so even when I stepped out into America, it was still with other kids who were experiencing that same like that dissonance, that experience of like, you're here, you're this way here and you're that way there. But I think that it wasn't until I got into two white spaces that I truly felt conflicted because I was like, well, they live this life and, and they think that it's the norm and they look down on anything different. So then it made me feel even worse about like, you know, kind of the ways that I showed up in, in the different worlds. And I think that for me, that was a big shift because then I started to see real differences. Like I remember when I went to college, that was when Facebook became popular. And now when I look, I mean, I don't really go on Facebook now, but when I look on my timeline, like the differences between the kids that I went to high school with who were similar to me, like first gen versus the, the kids that I went to college with, it was so, so different. So I think that because I always had to be someone else, I think that it got in the way of me figuring out who I was. And I think like, like similar to you, I'm kind of taking a step back now and saying, who is Crystal? And what are the things that you like? And there's a part of me that kind of wants to figure out, well, like, where did you lose this? Or where did something go wrong? But I think the most important part is really figuring out who am I? And how do I show up as that person, no matter what? It's interesting because you and I talking about it, it makes it easier for us. But there was a point in time in my life where I would not talk about it. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying, 
so much sense and it feels good. Like, yo, she gets me. But even around the people who had a similar lifestyle to you and they were supposed to get you, no one's talking about these things. So it get it can re, it can feel really isolating. Like you want ABC and you know, you're you're in a different kind of world and you don't know how to maneuver yourself and then you just go with what other people want and then you have like a secret life. Not that sounds crazy, but you know what I no, mean. No, like, yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> I never had a secret life, but you know, like there's some parts of you that people aren't aware of because it would bring shame and guilt because of your upbringing. And then come to find out that, oh, we're actually, if you actually start to speak on these things, it's actually more normal than I, it's definitely more normal than what I thought when I was younger. I, yes, I'm sure a lot of people can, can definitely relate to, to that piece. Um, so I think we we talked about a lot in this conversation, but what were the major takeaways after reflecting on, you know, this piece of your identity of being first gen? You know, it's interesting because for being first gen is something that I've thought about since I was in grad school. That's when it started hitting me like, oh, maybe it doesn't have to be as hard or not even maybe it doesn't have to be as hard, but shit, my life is hard. Like, cause before my life was just my life and I was pushing through. And then you look and you start comparing yourself like, oh, how come I didn't have this opportunity? So for me, it brought up a lot of questions and I love answering questions. I love, I, I love to ask questions. And ultimately I think being first gen means, yes, straddling two different worlds and learning how to integrate them. Because mm -hmm. until you do, you're always shifting back and forth. And I also think it it plays a huge role in your identity because you're not just this person that shows up in this American life. Like you're, you have a family with culture and different traditions that you enjoy, right? So how do you show up authentically as yourself in these different worlds without feeling any residual negative emotion. And I think that for me, being first gen almost forces a lot of us to, to think about these things while we're meeting different developmental phases, while we're working, while we have to pay our own rent. It, it does create a little bit of, um, it is a little extra work is what I'm saying, but it's not, extra work is never a bad thing. It's just, you have to think about how you want to own it. Yes, I feel like you summarized that for the both of us, because um, <laughs> I feel like that's that's pretty accurate to how I feel, um, despite that some of our experience were a little bit different. But yeah, I think it really, when thinking about being first gen, it's always a balancing act. On the one hand, you're extremely resilient, hardworking. Um, I think there is some gratitude or gratefulness that, that did come with that. And you, you know, the value of a dollar, you don't take things for granted, but it does come like you, like you mentioned with a lot of pressure of being successful. I know for me personally, it's come with a lot of pressure of building a legacy. I would love to build some generational wealth. So generations after me just don't even have to experience the same things that, that I did. I'm grateful to have been able to pursue my own career. Um, Cause one thing that I had thought about, but forgot to mention is that you know, we were lucky to be able to pursue what we wanted to, but I know a lot of first generation folks have to really give back to their family. And for us, I think we were lucky that it was like, we made these sacrifices, go live the best version of your life. But I think some first gen or maybe more so immigrant people who come, who immigrate to America have to 
reach this American dream to support their families. And like, they still have the the pressure of um, maintaining their, you know, their families, their parents, their grandparents as well. So I think that I will say I, I do feel lucky in that regard. But Shout out to everyone who is making their parents proud, who is making those sacrifices for their families. Shout out to those who are humbled by their experiences. Absolutely. Uh, Because I think that there's, yeah, there's so much value to it. Yeah, no, I agree. Thank you for for bringing that up. Um, I 1000% agree. I hope that your sacrifices, all of the things that you've done, don't go unnoticed and I also hope that you find the time space the energy to achieve your own goals to find out who you are to show up in spaces with your cultural traditions mixed in with your American norms or however it is that that you want to show up in in this world do what makes you happy shout out to all the first gen people out there it's a struggle but we out here we're making moves we're succeeding so round of applause to all of y'all (laughs) that was our episode we would absolutely love to hear about your first gen experiences let us know what things we missed what was part of your experience that maybe wasn't a part of ours and even if you're not first gen even if you're second gen i would love to hear what my future kids are going to experience so shout out to you too if you're listening definitely let us know what that experience is going to be like make sure to follow us on instagram at never told this pod and you can also email us at never told us pod at gmail.com and as always make sure to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us <laughs>